this morning, I'd love to welcome up to speak to us um, Mr. Neil Huddleston, who I'm sure is going to bless us with the word. Time as well. I do that every time. Drop that every time. Good morning, everybody. It is absolutely grand to see you all here. I, uh, I don't know if Paul said I was preaching on that date. Um, I don't know if it's the one I was thinking of, but I preached about um, wives bear your husbands um, a while ago. I think, I think it might have been that one. And uh, Tom said to Barbara, oh, Tom, you wouldn't dare preach that, would you? Tom said, no, I wouldn't. I only got four or five people came and complained afterwards as well. I thought it was pretty good for me. This morning we're going to look at a passage in Luke 6. If you've got Bibles or electronic stuff, turn to that. Um, I'll give you a moment. Um, we're going to talk about wise and foolish people. Wise and foolish people. So Jesus is, Jesus is talking to the crowd. He says to them, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'll show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. Matthew 7 says, and the house on sand. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I'm just going to pray before I start. Lord, Lord, thank you that you are the great God. Lord, thank you that your love is overwhelming. Lord, thank you that we can come to you with all our stuff with all our things, with all our, and say, Lord, please take this and turn it into your stuff and your things and yours. Lord, this morning, please take my words, please take my thoughts, please take my stuff, and Lord, turn it into your stuff. Lord, let my words fall to the floor. Let your words fall into our ears, into our hearts, and produce that harvest you desire. Amen. So, for a little bit of context, these verses come quite close to the start of Jesus' work, Jesus' work on earth. As he, and he's called a few disciples, he's healed a few people, and then he sits down and preaches a great long chunk. Preaches more, I reckon, reading it, I reckon he preached most of the day. Preached what we, what we sometimes call the Sermon on the Mount, his first real big chunk of teaching. His first bit where as a, as a, as a, traveling rabbi he says okay this is what i think this is what i believe this is how god is this is my teaching on god this is my teaching on on how we work this is my teaching on god the father and his relationship to us this is my teaching on how we as followers should live should love how we should be in the light of that and he's done this huge great big teaching and at the end of that he actually, he, he, he teaches 
the bit that Joe preached on a couple of weeks ago, which I only, only realized after I'd done a lot of prep and then went back to it and thought, I'll just, and realized that three or four weeks ago, Joe preached twice on the verses that come immediately before these verses about um, fruit we produce. You remember she put a, a picture of a tree up and some roots and then the fruit tree. So when Jesus is saying, oh, here's my words and put them into practice, that's, those are my words he's talking about. He's talking about all that stuff he's just said. He's talking about our fruit. He's talking about all the stuff in, in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. He's taught about the, the highlights. Sort of, he's taught about the Beatitudes. He's taught, taught the Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are you. Talk about salt and light. Talk about Christ coming to fulfill the law. He talks about anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation, and loving your enemies, and giving to the needy. He talks about the Lord's Prayer. We'll skip to that later as well. He talks about fasting and about laying up treasures in heaven, about not being anxious, not judging others, asking and it will be forgiven, he says. Asking, asking you'll be given it. Seeking you'll find. He's just said that. And he's just said the golden rule. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And now he's saying, hear my words and put them into practice. The whole wise and foolish thing is Jesus saying, follow me in practice. Not, not some theoretical teletext way, like I follow the Reds. We won yesterday, incidentally. Fulham, 1-0, up the Reds. But... But I wasn't there. I don't, I don't follow them. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like I'm not one of these people who's got a season ticket and and goes to the home games and the away games. I'm not. I'm not a follower of the Reds. I just look on teletext at the end of the day. And, yeah. <laughs> it's because I can't remember what the what the I can't remember what the um, what the no no because it's a BBC website I look on. All right, BBC, that's what I've got. <laughs> BBC Sports website. Incidentally, just if we take any wickets this morning, just one of, if you want to give us a quick, that'd be fine. Just don't shout out, though, it might put me off. But that's, that's not, that's not I don't, we don't follow him. Jesus isn't saying, follow me like I follow Barnsley. He's saying, follow me, do it. Be there, be at the games, be in the game. And not just be in the bleachers watching the game, be on the field. That's, that's the kind of following him he's talking about. He's not talking about sitting, on the, sitting at, the back, at the back of the stadium. He's talking about being on the field, being in the game. Follow me by doing what I tell you to do in practice. I think Jesus is also saying all of it. When he says follow me, he's not saying... He's not saying follow, follow a little bit of it. Agree with that, that list I wrote about Beatitudes and all that. All that's, he's, not saying, he's not saying, you're all right, follow a bit of that. But, but the other stuff, you can ignore that. He's saying, follow me. Follow all of this. All this teaching I've just done. That's what I believe. Follow me in all of that. Follow me in all of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All the, the difficult stuff, the easy stuff, all of that. James, later on in the New Testament, the writer James Right, so letter and says, don't merely listen to the words and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Underlining what Jesus says, follow me. This is also another one of those times, I think, when, when Jesus is speaking not only to people's hearts, 
but he's speaking into people's experience. So often he, he uses pictures that people understand. So he talks to people about, he talks to fishermen about being fishers of men. He talks to farmers about farming stuff. And he's talking to people, talking to people about building stuff. People, there were people in the crowd then who, who've probably seen houses built on sand. Probably seen houses where uh, we call them Jerry build, don't we? Maybe they've known a few Jewish cowboy builders who are more interested in the brews than the Hebrews. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I've written here, insert bit about Ole Reservoir 2007 and Tobruk Reservoir 2019. Things that, things that appear to be built quite well, but until you see what they're built on, until you see that Tobruk Reservoir is the one that's looking like it's going to fail when it chucks it down this afternoon in Derbyshire. They've built it on sand. They've actually built it on puddled clay and then earth and then concrete. But they, they didn't put a great big concrete foundation in first. They just put it on the ground. And when, it, when the water leaked through all the cracks on the concrete, it just washes away underneath. It's a great example of what happens when you build your house on the sand. Because it looks fantastic. It looks great. Oli oh, Res looked great in 2007. It properly did. It was gorgeous. Until there was a storm and the water went through the cracks and washed away underneath because there was only sand underneath. And it gave way. Oli didn't. There's a good chance Tobbrook will. If it does, it's going to get to Mark and uh, Gwyneth's house in about three minutes. <laughs> Apparently. In the river, they live quite high up, but in the river by their house. So what do we see in this passage? In this part, everybody builds. And I think, I think that's, that's something that, that maybe doesn't strike us straight away. But everybody builds. We, wise or foolishly, we all build. We all build our lives, don't we? We build our lives on things. We build our lives on stuff. We just do. We all do. Whether we believe it or not, we do. Either we build on good things or we build on bad things, but we all build. We all build our lives. None of us are, none of us are tiny Benjis anymore. We're all big grown-ups, more or less. Jesus says, come to me, hear my words, put them into practice, and you'll be wise and resilient in the storm. Come to me, hear my words, put them into practice. But the other side to that is if you build your life on other stuff, be it on, on what people think of you, on how clever you are, on how wealthy you are, how big a car you've got, how small a car you've got for that matter, how important a job you've got, how excelling your children are, how important your friends are. If you build on any of that stuff, when the storms come, you'll be destroyed because those things will fail. Those things will fail. If you can say, like Jesus taught earlier on that day, Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught them to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. If we can honestly pray, your name, your kingdom come, and really, really mean it. Your name, your kingdom come. And understand what really matters is his stuff, not our stuff. Then no matter what the storms wash away, 
or wash up. We will not be destroyed. We may get a little bit wetter than we'd like. I ain't getting wet. I properly do. I most telling a lot of you know this. When, when, when we go somewhere, I wear a hat. It's not because I, I don't like being bald. That's just not true. I'm, I've learned to live with that. It's a daily struggle. But, but I don't like getting my head wet. I don't like getting wet. You, everybody builds. Everybody builds. What, they either build on solid foundations or they build on sand. But everybody builds. We all do. Storms and floods always come. Storms and floods always come. They do. Being a Christian doesn't immunize us from that. The department wishes it did. It would be a really great selling point. But we're not selling this thing we've got, are we? We're, selling, we're telling the truth. We're showing people the truth. We're not selling a lifestyle choice. We're showing people a way. We're showing people a whole thing. Jesus actually says, some floods will come, some storms will come because we follow him. In the Beatitudes, earlier on that day, he said, people will hate you because of me. Blessed, you'll be blessed. But people will curse you because you follow me. You'll be blessed. But people will hate you because you follow me. People will hate you because you build your life on me. And sometimes storms come because we just live in a fallen world. Sometimes it chucks it down on us. Just does. Mostly floods are bad things. I have a very good friend who had a flood and it washed away a lot of stuff that was very dear to her. Mostly floods are bad things. Occasionally, floods are good things. You can have a flood of blessings. You can have a flood of God's grace in our lives. In the Bible days, and for a long time afterwards, and sometimes now, rivers flooding is a good thing. It, it floods the surrounding fields and gives them nutrients they need. I think, I think even today in the Nile Delta, they, they dig dams next to the river because they know come July, probably not July, probably August, September, the river will rise, it will flood, and it will water the fields. They're looking forward to the floods. If they don't get a flood, they starve in the winter. Floods aren't always terrible things. It's one reason why the grass is so green next to the river. It's not just that it's good water, it's good soil as well. But even floods of blessings can be a dangerous thing. Apart from the pulling a mad dog's ears proverb, when we, we did Proverbs, we're in Connect Groups, we did Proverbs just recently. One of the, one of the questions was, which, which is your favorite proverb? And I, my favorite proverb is, you grab a mad dog by the ears when you're butt into a quarrel that's none of your business. <laughs> you grab a mad dog by the ears. We've got a mad dog. I grab it by the ears occasionally, it doesn't like it. But I think my favorite proverb is actually one that talks about floods. From the words of Ego, Proverbs 30. Ego says, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Don't refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Please, God, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Two, 
give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown the Lord and disown you and say, who is the Lord? See, uh, one of the dangers of floods of blessings is we might think it's us. One of the dangers of, of a growing church, one of the dangers of a fantastic music group, one of the dangers of, is we might think we're great rather than we have a great God. Do you know what? I want a big church, not so I can say Hope House Church is great. I want a big church so I can say the God that Hope House Church serves is a fantastic God. The God that Hope House Church serves is a brilliant God. That's why I want a big church. Not so we can look great, not so we can have a new roof, not so that we can have a dozen staff members that all drive around in Ferraris. But listen, listen, I don't even like having a motorbike. So but so that people look and go, God must be fantastic if he works with those idiots. God must be fantastic. If he's grown a church in that place, in that town, God must be great. That's why I want a big church. Agar understood the problems of having excessive stuff to rely on instead of relying on God. We used to, we, I never had one. Some people used to have wristbands on with WWJD, what would Jesus do? When the other one was FROG, fully reliant on God. Push, pray until something happens. Thank you. I knew there was a third. It shouldn't come into my head. And Jesus is saying, concentrate on the things that matter not on how far and wide you can go. Earlier on in the day, Jesus has said, the wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. That, that middling path, that median path is not... It's the, the middle bit. It's building wisely on him. Floods happen. Concentrate on what matters, on his paths, on his works. And the floods won't destroy us. Another thing that occurred to me as I was reading through this, and that's never occurred to me before, actually. And I, I quite often say, I fully admit, I'm just dense. But why would you build a house without foundations? Because it's cheaper. But, but if you build a house for yourself... And you, you, you think, well, see what, I'll build a house. Me and Andy will build a house. And, and Lock Park. Especially in this area. With all the mining that's been done under this area. Why on earth would you not put foundations in? Put foundations in, you still get subsidence. Put no foundations in, it'll be like Titus Salt School that's done that in five years. Why do it that way when it's so obviously wrong? Well, like, like Paul says, it's quicker and easier. It's quicker and easier. And it means there's less chance of, of delays if you find Roman archaeology under your new library, for example, as Barnsley Council will attest. Or maybe, maybe beachfront views have a better social cachet than houses and hills. Cliff houses. Or perhaps people see others doing it. 
and they seem to be quite fine in their unfoundationed lives, so we'll be fine as well. Or maybe, maybe just maybe they don't know or they don't believe a storm is coming. Maybe they've not read the back end of Matthew 24, paraphrased by the late, great Larry Norman. I wanted to sing. Do you mind if I sing this? Well, well, at least least one of you went, "Mm," so I'm having that. Larry Norman wrote, A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. She's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Thank you, Julie. Do you know what? That time's coming. The day is coming. And people in this town who don't know are living like they don't know because they don't know. The storm is coming. We've read the end of the book. The day arrives when the clocks stop and the trumpets sound and the Lord catches up the earth by its four corners and says, that's it, kids. That game's over. It's only the halfway whistle. I was going to say it's the final whistle, but it's not. It's the half-time whistle. The second half of the game, different set of rules. It's a different game. Maybe they're just totally blind to the risks of not following the one who knows the way because they don't know there is a one or there is a way. Maybe they don't know they're building on sand until it's too late, until their lives crash down. Maybe they don't know they're building on sand. Maybe they think it's firm. Maybe they think wealth is a firm foundation. Maybe they think health is a firm foundation. You'd think that God would have a plan to circumvent, resolve that conundrum, wouldn't you? You'd think a good God would have a plan for that. I I think there might be something about it in uh, Matthew 28. I'm not sure. What can we learn? You're going to will. You're going to will. You're going to build. So build well. All the translations say a man who dug down deep, deep. Who dug down deep. He didn't just just scuff the bit off and go, oh, that'll do. We've put two inches of foundation. We'll call it a draw. Again, if you, if you live in this area and there's mines under it, you drill 100 yards down and fill it all up with concrete and hope for the best. This dig down deep always reminds me of one of Jesus' parables. In Matthew 13, 34, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This parable just foxed me for a long time. Because for a long time I thought, well, why didn't he just, why did he buy the field? Why didn't he just like, so, so the man's walking along, minding his own business, and he, he stumbles upon a treasure. Ooh, there's a treasure here, hello. Why didn't he just go, nothing to see, no treasure here, I'm fine. Why didn't he do that? At least, Thank you, Paul. Like a, 
I nearly wrote something really, really offensive. But why didn't he just why didn't he just have it away with the treasure like a pirate? Just ho 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 har Jim Lad, that's mine. Off we go. Do you know? I think it's because I don't think it's talking, Jesus is talking about that kind of treasure. I don't think he's talking about a bag of coins or, or a diamond tiara or one of Paul Dunning's many lost wedding rings. Paul Dunning confessed last Sunday evening that he's lost three wedding rings. Paul Dunning's lost, one of Paul Dunning's many lost wedding rings. I don't think Jesus is talking about that treasure. I think he's talking about something that requires time and effort and investment to dig out. Like a vein of gold, like a seam of silver. Like something that's in the ground that you need to ha- you need to own the whole shebang to get at. Something that will take time and effort and energy, but ultimately, the investment will pay off. I think that's the kind of treasure Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven being like. Not something you can just pick up and wander off with, but something you've got to dwell in. You're going to build, so build well. What else can we learn? Not all storms are bad things as long as you have good foundations. Psalm 61 says, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. You know what, when storms come for good or ill, we are only safe in him. We are only safe with a life built on him as a foundation. And built well on him. Not just dug down and shoddily built, but built with it all. Built with everything, he says. So don't don't dig down and then, oh, I've got the foundation, I've got the rock now. I'm going to build badly on half of what he said I'm going to ignore some of it because it's, it's hard teaching so I'm just going to build well on good foundations dig deep into God I sometimes think we go through storms to prove to ourselves that our faith is real because we don't know we don't do you know if, if we had an unblemished life, how would we ever know if, we, if our faith was real? Until we got through a storm, how on earth would we know if our faith was real? I was talking to somebody earlier about the, the song we sing, You Never Failed Me Yet, which I, I love that song. You Never Failed Me Yet. Do you know what? He's never failed me yet. And I've been through some awful stuff. I've been through some terrible storms largely of my own making but occasionally of others but he's never failed me and because of that I know that the storm I go through tomorrow and the storm I go through next week and the storm that's in my future that I can't even see coming he's going to take me through that as well because I'm built on him because my faith is real and I know my faith is real because I've gone through a storm to prove to ourselves sometimes as well that it's worth the effort of digging down to the foundation. It's worth the effort. It's an effort. Digging out foundations is horsework. When you don't have a mechanical digger and you have to do it by hand, digging out foundations is horsework. 
But it's worth it. There's no shortcut to it, but it's an effort that's well worth it. To bed your life down the rock that is higher than I. To bed your life down on Jesus is worth it. Can I have the band back, please? Finally, what can we learn? I, th I think this is really important. I think this is the, a really important bit. And the, the really important bit is that what we do here on earth, how we live our lives here on earth, has eternal consequences. The message version of this passage reads, uh, Peterson version, Why are you being polite to me? And always saying, yes, sir, that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not merely additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you, build, if you work the words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundations of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundations. When the swollen river came in and came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards and was a total loss. I think this is Jesus talking to us this morning. I think this is Jesus talking to me this morning. When I got to this point, I felt so convicted of how I sometimes live my life. I properly did. I had to pause and have a right good pray. If you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter. I have to be honest with you, sometimes a plain text reading of the parable of the ten virgins makes me lose sleep at night. Because I want to be one of the five wise ones, not one of the five stupid ones. No, no, no. I do not think we can lose our salvation. I do not. I think the reckless God that we sang about earlier won't let that happen. I believe the God that, that leaves the 99 and chases after the one, that kicks down the walls, that tears down the lies. I don't believe we can lose our salvation. I absolutely, absolutely believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I absolutely believe that with all my heart. Absolutely. But I read Paul writing to the church in Corinth talking about being like someone who barely escaped through a wall of flames. When I go, I want to go out like Elijah. Richmond is described with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. I want to storm across that line knowing that I built my house on his foundation. Knowing that I built my structure well on his foundation. Knowing that I didn't pick and choose the bits I wanted. But I said, all of that, Lord, and all, all of mine for all of yours. No bit of mine is still mine. All of mine is all of yours. I was talking to somebody the other day about people who had faith and who, who say they've lost their faith, they don't believe anymore. I'm not, I'm not really sure people... Who've, uh, who've had a deep faith, who've had, who really believed it, ever lose it. I think what they lose is their desire to build on him, their desire to follow him. 
and it's obedience they lose, not faith. I love it when Paul teaches on the parables. That's sorry, the parable of the talents. It's one of Paul's favourite things to preach on. It's one of my favourite things to listen to. Because it reminds me that, again, we are here for a purpose. It reminds me that, that the God we serve trusts us. One of the questions last Sunday evening that we didn't get to was how can God's love be reckless? In that, that song we sang earlier, I'm so pleased you sang that. How can God's love be reckless? And I thought about it and I thought, I know how God's love can be reckless. Trust us. Trust me. He knows what I'm like. He knows how stupid and careless and thoughtless and childish I can be. And he says, Neil, I trust you. What unbelievable recklessness. It's like giving Benji the keys to a Sherman tank. It's unbelievably reckless to trust me, but he does. We're here for a purpose. Brothers and sisters, we're here for a purpose. That parable of talents again reminds me that of all the stuff God gives me, all the stuff I've got is God-given. And my job is to not bury it in the ground. My job is to dig into the ground, but only so I can set it on a firm foundation that's him and then build on it and use what he's given me to build a life that he would have me lead. It reminds me that, like the parable of the wise and foolish builders, the parable of the ten wise and foolish virgins, we have a purpose here on earth. We need to get to it. Because the storm's coming and there are people that don't know. I'm going to pray and close. Lord, we'll thank you that we can build on you and be sure of our foundations. We can dig down in you and be sure that our lives are built on solid ground. We can build on your words. We can live your life, the life you would have for us. And be sure that what we build will not be washed away by any storm, good or bad. Because all we get, we give to you. All that happens, we give back to you. Lord, help us to remember. And help us to remember, Lord, this week that there are people out there that, that don't know, that don't know the storm is coming, that are living in blissful ignorance that one day, and maybe one day soon, it'll be gone. Lord, help us. Guide us and teach us. Teach us how to build better in your life. Teach us how to build better in your ways. And Lord, remind us again and again and again that it's now. It's now to do it.